0: Thank you for downloading and listening to the Berean Bible Church Sunday morning podcast. Berean Bible Church is located in Shoreline, Washington, morning worship at 11, and many more events throughout the week. For more information, please visit our website at www.bereanshoreline.org. Wednesday night on the way home from church. I'm not sure what prompted this discussion, but uh, Teresa asked, if there was a fire in our house our house was going to burn down, what would you, what would we uh, need to go in and make sure we got out? And my uh, first, I think my first response was, what was that? <laughs> Nothing. I was going to say, Beth, I think, you, of course, you're sitting next to a fireman back there, so that's, you know, <laughs> And I think if I were to ask uh, Mr. Mason or Mr. Adams, I think they would probably say exactly, you're not supposed to go try and take anything, right? You'd get out. All right. Assuming that we did have a few minutes, okay? And Steve wasn't around, all right? (laughs) (laughs) Of course, obviously the first thing you, I'm sure all of us would say, we want to get each other out, right? We want to get the people out. Any people in the household. Let me ask you that. If for some reason your house was going to be destroyed, for whatever reason, and you had an opportunity to take, make sure you took one thing out, what would you take? What would you take? Your Green Bay Packers jacket, Keith, maybe? (laughs) Your cheese head. Okay, your cheese head. All right. That old uh, rare Elvis Presley 78. Uh, your wedding album, grandma's, you know, dishes. What What would you take out? What do you, huh? Pictures? Of your, pictures of your children. Good. Pictures of what? The picture of my grandfather on the wall. Okay, I'll take the picture of my grandfather off the wall for Fiona. Okay. <laughs> Were you waving your telephone? Oh, Julie would take her telephone. Okay. There we go. All right. What would you take? What's what is the what is the one thing that's really essential and really important in your life? What is the one big thing? Uh we are studying together um the series of Bible verses that we're memorizing. We're memorizing the foundational fifty verses. And we are learning a verse each week. Encourage you to continue to do that. If you, how about uh, last week's verse, uh, Romans, uh, Romans five eight. Want to say it with me if you know it? I'll just say it nice and slow if you learned it. Romans five eight. But God demonstrates His own love for us in that while we were sinners, Christ died for us. I think I left the word yet out there, didn't I? Um, we've been learning these verses together, encouraging you as families to learn these verses. This morning we're going to learn, um, we're going to focus on our verse for this week. And, uh, what is the one essential thing? If you open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 1 for a moment, we're going to be in Corinthians today. 1 Corinthians chapter 1. I think today I want to suggest to you that While our foundational verses are the foundational 50, 50 verses that have been chosen, we almost could say the verse that we're going to be memorizing this week, I I think we could probably accurately say from the Apostle Paul's own words is probably the foundational one. If you're only going to learn one verse, uh, this would be the foundational one, according to the Apostle Paul. Let's pray. Father, as we open your word, we pray that our hearts would be open to your word. And we thank you for the privilege we have to come and to open it, to consider it, to contemplate it, to share it, teach it to our children and youth. And uh, may we grow closer as we continue to worship you through your word this morning. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Two verses early in Corinthians, Corinthians chapter 1, and in verse 21, Paul says, For since in the wisdom of God... The world through its wisdom did not know God, know him. God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached. What was preached to save those who believe. And then later on in the next chapter, chapter 2, continuing on the same theme in verse 4. My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power so that your faith might not rest on man's wisdom, but on God's power. And the word here that's used for uh, preaching, the word kerygma, there's, like in all languages, there's a variety of uh, the, the base word "carusa," and then the kerygma and the various usings of it, is the word that is really used here in those two passages for the word preached. What is the essential thing? The essential thing, the foundational one, I'd like to suggest to you, that matters more than anything. And it's the one thing that unites us together is the preaching, the kerygma. And I'm not, so, I'm not focusing so much there on the preaching, the, the preacher and what I'm doing, but what is preached? What is the preaching? What is the essential preaching? You know, I look at this congregation here. And I think how different we are, right? I mean, we all have so many differences. We'd all grab different things out of our house when we left. You know, that would would sort of indicate things are important to us. We have different views on things. We have different likes and dislikes. Some of you love sports and athletics and are just really enjoying the basketball tournaments right now. Uh, Some of you hate sports. You really care less about sports. Some of you love uh, singing out the hymnal. And then when we sing hymns that you've grown up with the new. Others of you love learning new music. And, uh, you know, we, we try to do both. We try to, you know, to do these things that you have different political views. And some of you have one political view and some have another. And you can't understand how anybody that's a Christian couldn't see your view. I mean, we, we there are so many things that divide us. I mean, that would keep us, that we different everything. But what is it that unites us? What is the one thing that when we gather like this, and we gather as a church, not only to worship, but to serve, to teach our children, to spread the word, to serve in our community. What is the one thing that we hold in common, that binds us together? And I want us to focus on that this morning as we consider the verse in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that is our memory verse for this week. This is the one big thing. We have different theological views. I mean, you and I, several of us, we could sit out and talk this morning, and even maybe within the same framework of dispensational theology, we might have completely different views on some specific, very important topics. And I, I appreciate that. I understand that. What is it that we agree on that, would, that is the one big thing that, yes, we all agree on? And this is what really binds us together and holds us together and will continue to do so as we continue to serve. And you, and you sacrifice, you give. We just took our morning offering. And we do not take lightly the gifts that you bring to give to God that are that, that leaders of our church myself included, are responsible to administer and to put into God's work. We do not take lightly this uh, fundraising project that we've been in. And we feel very importantly about this. But we realize how big a deal it is. You sacrifice, you give, you serve. I mean, there is so much more you could do with your money, your time, but you've chosen to be a part of this church family, to, to, to be a part of God's work. And what is it that holds us together? In 1 Corinthians 15 our verse that we're going to learn together this week. For what I received, in verse 3 and 4, what I received I pass on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that He was buried, that He was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. Now let's read the rest of it just to get the context of this verse. This is, verse, this is a little bit longer now than some of the verses we've memorized. Um, but uh, you could do this. Uh, you could do this. It actually flows very, very nicely and fits together very well in this progression. But, you know, I, if you go to verse um, 12, you can kind of get the context of why this is the resurrection chapter in Paul's writings. You know, we're coming up on Easter in two weeks. And we talk about resurrection. This is the resurrection chapter in the epistles. This whole chapter, chapter 15, this entire chapter is dedicated to the resurrection. The resurrection, our hope. And look at verse 12. Here's the reason for it. Verse 12, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say there is no resurrection of the dead? Now, this is written to the church. This was not written to the general city of Corinth. This was written to the church at Corinth. So, evidently, in the church at Corinth, the Christian community, there is a teaching going around that there is no such thing as a resurrection. We also know later on, Paul says, How can some of you say the resurrection's already taken place? So, there is this misleading teaching about this. What Paul's going to consider a core teaching of the Christian faith. The one big thing, the resurrection. We mentioned, I mentioned earlier a prayer for Carmen's family, her father Larry. And, uh, just really, I just, uh, Larry just always impressed me. Just such a humble servant of God. And, and, and we believe in the resurrection. We're going to, we're going to see Larry again. We're going to see Fred again. Look back over this last year, the many services we've had, the Brother McDonald, Brother Gill. I mean, we're gonna see each other again because we believe in the resurrection. And Paul says, How can some of you say that there's no resurrection? In fact, he goes on to say, look what he says in verse as he follows up in verse thirteen. If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. If Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless. And so is your faith. And he goes on and develops this. How ridiculous this would be. This is the cornerstone. This is the one big thing of the Christian faith. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the hope of the resurrection. Now, we kind of take it for granted. You know, I, I grew, I've grown up in the Christian church. My mom took me to church when I was a young boy. I was saved at Emmanuel Bible Church, Camp Gilead. Over incarnation, Um, I this story, this history, the resurrection, this talking about the resurrection, it's just something I take for granted because it's it's been such a part of my... I can't imagine being in a church or coming to a service where there would be question or doubt about the resurrection. Can you you imagine coming here today and just questioning, well, did it really take place? But we need to appreciate the radicalness of this. Greek and Roman philosophy... They didn't talk about a resurrection. In fact, that was the last thing you wanted. The the Greek philosophy, going back to Plato and the Greek philosophers and so on, the whole idea is to leave the, the body, leave the material world. This is what's bad. Matter is bad. Spirit is good. Why would you want, how ridiculous. Why would you want this body to be resurrected? You want to be separated and go back to the great one the, the mind, the nause, the whatever, and, and, and be you reunited where we where it came from, but not with the body. It was crazy. Only the Jewish faith. But even if in the Jewish faith, I mean think about it. Even within Judaism, you had one of the most significant religious parties, the Sadducees, who did not believe in a resurrection. We are told that clarity of scriptures, we said they did not believe in a resurrection. Or the afterlife, but that was a major party of Judaism. So you have to appreciate how radical, how how absolutely uh, beyond anything that they could have imagined, this belief in the resurrection. Paul says, "If it is preached that Christ was raised from it, how can you say that?" And so, chapter fifteen is the resurrection chapter, and this verse. This verse, is it, it, Paul says, and I want us to work through this verse this morning, and maybe this will help you as you memorize it. Let's, let's consider this verse, what Paul says, how he begins this in verse 3. Well, let's look at verse 1 and 2 as a preamp. Now, brothers, I want to remind you the gospel I preach to you, which you have received, on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you, otherwise you have believed in vain. And then he has this, this verse we're going to learn together this week. And I want us to kind of work this, because notice what he says. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Now what's interesting is Paul doesn't tell us how he received us. Paul does at times specifically tell us, uh, for example, when it comes to the communion Service. He says, well, I received from the Lord. He doesn't specifically say he received this by direct revelation from God. He may have. He may have been re- re- referring to the oral tradition that has come down from the apostles, from those who are the eyewitnesses of the resurrection. In fact, if you look at what we read here, and then we continue, verse 5, he says, after about the resurrection... He appeared to Peter. He appeared to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 brothers at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Verse 7, then he appeared to James, probably the brother of the Lord. Then to all the apostles. And last of all, he appeared to me also, to one abnormally born. So he records this history of the public Uh, revelation of the resurrected Jesus Christ. They actually saw Him. I mean, again, think of how astounding it is. I can remember as a kid when my dad died, when I was about eight years old, and you know, as a child, and all of a sudden, sometimes you have those memories where all of a sudden, that loved person that is there again, right? And it's like, they're there, and then you wake up, oh yeah, it was a dream, right? Can you imagine actually physically seeing the person that you know died. You saw them dead. And there they are. Can you imagine what it was like for those disciples to actually see Jesus? And they saw him head to toe. And it was him, but it was different. Imagine that. And and the Apostle Paul says, these people saw him. Even 500 people at once saw him. Go ask them. Many of them are still alive. Is this what he's referring to? Paul says, I received, for what I received, I have passed on to you, Corinthians. And I want to remind you too, this church at Corinth, this is a church over in Greece. I've been to Corinth twice. It's the very southern end of the the Greek mainland, Um, Corinth, was a city very cosmopolitan, very mixed. It was a port city like Seattle, very mixed culturally and, and all sorts of ways. And in that city, uh, there is this Christian assembly. And in this Christian assembly, they do not have the gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They have not been written yet. Almost all Bible scholarship, conservative and liberal alike, <laughs> agree. that the gospels had not been written and they were not circulating yet. So they did not have, they could not get together and open up the book of Matthew and and study it together. It was an oral tradition that was passed on. They did not have the Old Testament scriptures. Those were over at the synagogue. Those who had it in their mind, the Jews, they had it in their mind. They had portions of it written down, but you didn't own the great big scrolls of the Old Testament. They were rare, they were expensive. You would have portions. I mean, they didn't have a whole lot. And people came into this assembly from the marketplace. People invited their friends and relatives, pagans who had no background at all in Judaism. And they and, and they're hearing this for the first time. And this 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 is this is there's nothing there for them to go just pick up but what the words that have been passed on to them by the apostles. And they get a letter from Paul. They get a parchment from Paul. And they gather around to hear it. It was written to be read and listened to. And they gathered around and listened to these words from the apostle. And Paul says, I pass on to you what I receive. And he says this, it is of first importance. He doesn't just mean, I I gave this to you first in order. All the, again, the commentators agree with the Greek language here. That Paul's emphasis is, this is the one big thing. This is it. If you don't take anything else home, Corinthians, this is the big thing. This is of first importance. Don't forget this. This is the one thing you want to take out of the house and take home with you. What I received, I passed on to you of first importance importance foremost central indispensable and here it is as we learn this verse together what that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures come on now that's that that's so common in our talk isn't it i mean this is so common it's such a part of my life it's such a part of my talking and my study and my preaching and teaching this might have been new to an awful lot of people. Paul says, listen, this is the one big thing. Christ. You notice it doesn't say Jesus? I'm not sure how much to make of that. But it, it doesn't say Jesus. I, I'm sure he very well could have said that. But he does say Christ, Christos. Christ is a title. Jesus was a name, right? Christ, the Messiah, Christos. It translates the Hebrew, Mashiach the anointed one, the one set apart, the one big thing, the one, the anointed one, that Christos, Christ, the Mashiach, died for our sins, according to the scripture. He, I mean, can we just stop and think for a minute? We, we should sometimes just stop and just contemplate in our lives. Take some time, Christ was fully God. He died. He died. God. He died. He died. Christ died for our sins. There's a question, is it on behalf of our sins, in place of our sins? You could build a whole sermon On the language here. Christ died, I think, maybe most accurately, on account of my sin. Your sin. Your sin. And my sin. And Paul's sin. And the Corinthians' sin. And the rabbis' sin. And the priests' sin. Christ died on account of our sins. And then notice what he says. According to the Scriptures. This is so important, friends, in the New Testament preaching, the Kerygma. The Lord Jesus Christ, and uh, we'll be studying, we'll be getting together in a couple weeks here for Good Friday and for Easter. And one of the famous Easter accounts, Luke chapter 24, is the Lord was on the road to Emmaus. And he, and he speaks to his disciples. And I always remember Pastor Schutz. I can, sometimes I remember sermon titles. I always remember the Easter sermon he gave. He titled it "Easter Heartburn." <laughs> Easter Heartburn. Did not our Did not our hearts burn within us when he when he spoke to us and we didn't know who he was? Maybe I'll use that title sometime here. Easter Heartburn. The Lord was on the road to Emmaus. And it it says in verse 25 of chapter 24, he said to them, they didn't know who he was. He had disguised himself. He hadn't revealed himself. He's walking along with these two disciples. And he says, how foolish you are. How slow of heart to believe. All that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Christ have to suffer these things? And then enter his glory. Now notice verse 27. And beginning with Moses... Moses, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Deuteronomy, beginning with Moses and then working all the way through all the prophets, because Moses was a prophet. He explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. The Lord's teaching himself. The apostles, when they gathered in the book of Acts, Peter, James, and John, and then later the apostle Paul, what did they do? They went to the Old Testament Scriptures and showed from the Old Testament Scriptures that this was supposed to happen. That the Messiah had to die. He had to suffer for sin. He had to be raised from the dead. Where do you find that in the Old Testament? We looked at it in the book of Acts just last year, where the apostles Jesus, I mean, uh, Peter and then Paul both said, the Lord quoted from the Psalms, Thou wilt not leave my soul in, in Sheol. We, didn't we learn together? If I go up to the heavens, what? You are there. If I make my bed in the depths, Sheol, you are there. And the Lord said, you will not, he quoted, it "Said, you will not leave my soul in Sheol. These were Old Testament prophecies that began to come together. Isaiah chapter 53, the suffering servant of God. He bore God's punishment. It pleased the Lord to strike him. He poured out his life for our sins. By his stripes, we are healed. And these, all these scriptures came together to build this case that he had to die and he had to be raised from the dead. And that this was his first, it was according to the scriptures. The apostle Paul says, what I received, I pass on to you. Jesus died for our sins According to the scriptures. You've already got it memorized, right? You got the whole got a whole week off here almost. We're gonna have this done by the time we're done here. That he was buried. Look at that short phrase. And many of the commentators pointed out how unique he didn't have to say that. Right? I mean, he could have said he died and he rose again. But he specifically makes the point. And we are told this. Look at the detail in the Gospels about the burial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of how much detail there isn't. But when it comes to his burial, think of the detail. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus. Um, I like to meet those two guys someday when we get to heaven, the resurrection. You know, those two guys, Joseph, and all of his disciples wouldn't dare... Be, be caught near the Lord Jesus Christ. And those two guys went and asked for his body. If anybody knew that Jesus was dead, it was the two guys who took his body, that blood-soaked body, and wrapped it in white, white cloths. And it gives us the detail of the weight of the spices It gives us the detail of laying him in this tomb that no one had ever been laid in before. Think of all that detail that the gospel writers give us. What's the point? The point is, he was dead. He was placed in the tomb. The tomb was sealed. It was done. He was dead. He was in the tomb. It was sealed. And when the angel rolled that stone away and the tomb was empty, God had done something amazing. But he was dead. And to make a point, he was buried. He was put in cloths and ointments. He was buried. They knew it. Ask Nicodemus. Ask Joseph of Arimathea. They had to go and wash the blood off their hands. They were unclean for the next period of time. They would have to go to a priest because they handled the dead body. He was buried. Friends, this is the one big thing. And then finally he says this, that he was raised on the third day. This is the point of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. And I want to just point out something to you. I don't mean to get technical here about, you know, but you know, language is important, Right? Tenses of verbs are important. You know, present, past, future, how you use those two. It's interesting that in this passage, and this, this, is, this is very significant. All the commentators point this out. This is very significant. What I passed, received, I passed on to you of first importance. Christ died. It was a past aorist. It was a past event, point in time. He died for our sins according to scriptures. He was buried, past tense, past heirs tense. He was was buried, he was placed in a grave. It was a one-time act, it was done. But when it says he was raised, even though it's hard to really get this emphasis in English, it's what we call a perfect, it's a passive perfect tense. The perfect tense means, yes, it is something that happened, but the effect is still going on. And, it ha- and it's specifically for that purpose. And so what he's saying here is, yes, he died. Yes, he was buried. But he hath been raised and is being raised. He is still raised today. It is still ha- it is still going on. The effect is still going on. Why? Because that is our salvation. Our salvation, our hope. Our hope in the resurrection is because it is still happening, the effect of him being raised. He hath been raised. He remains alive as the risen one. Christ will always be the risen Christ. Not the one who had. He is the risen Christ. In fact, six more times in this chapter... That tense is used for the resurrection. Verse 12, If it be preached that Christ hath not been raised. Perfect tense. Verse 13, If there is no resurrection of the dead, then Christ hath not been raised. Verse 14, If Christ hath not been raised. Verse 16, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised. Verse 17, If Christ hath not been raised. And in verse 20, but Christ indeed, oh, this is what a beautiful verse. What a beautiful verse. But Christ hath indeed been raised from the dead. Amen? It's the one big thing, friends. It's the one big thing. It took place, and He is still the risen one, and the effects are still being felt in your life and mine. And then finally this, Paul says it again, according to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. We're memorizing the Scripture together. We teach our children the Scriptures. We teach your children and young people the Scriptures. We don't just entertain them. We have fun together. Kevin has a good time with the kids and youth group. Susie's got a good thing going this morning. But we're teaching them the Word. We're teaching you the Word. According to the Scriptures. According to the Scriptures. God's Word is His gift to us of revelation. It's why we'll always be prominent in this pulpit. I know it will be. I know there's some of you like me talk about this and that and other things. and so, But, but my, my philosophy has been and will continue to be that we have a job to do. And if, if we don't do it, who's going to do it? Who's going to do this if we don't do it? Listen, friends, this is the one big thing that holds us together. Atonement by his death. Righteousness by his resurrection. By death and burial, he came to our level. By rising, he brings us to his. Now listen. In one of the f- famous Christian theologians has dubbed this passage that you're memorizing this week, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. And he has dubbed that the kerygma, the preaching. This is the one thing that unites us. No matter what our differences are today, this is the one thing that unites us. This is the one big thing that when we leave and go through those doors today, my friends, what are you going to take with you? We're going to leave and go home here in a while, a few minutes. What's the one thing you're going to take with you? The Bible. The The charisma. Because you know what? If you know this verse... You know how to present the gospel of Jesus Christ to anybody. That's it. That's the gospel. It's not up to you to convince them. It's not up up to you to argue with them into it. That's God's work. That's the Holy Spirit's work. All he asks of us is that we are willing to share the one big thing that matters most. We're talking about eternity. We are talking about heaven and hell. This is the one big thing. If you learn this one verse, you know the gospel and you know what to share. It is not complicated. And that's what Paul is saying here. I've passed on to you of first importance. This is the one big thing, friends. This is the foundational one. 1 Corinthians 15:3 and 4. Amen. Hallelujah. Amen. 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 Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are we are a humble people. We are a thankful people. We don't always act like it, and we know that. But we love you, and we stand amazed in the presence of Jesus the Nazarene who loved us and gave himself for us. And Father, we pray that uh, You would impress upon our hearts that we do not need to be eloquent, we don't need to be a scholar, we don't need to be extraordinarily that much better than anybody else, that every one of us can share the simple, profound message of the gospel Jesus Christ died for our sins, was buried in the tomb rose again the third day and offers forgiveness for sins because he has paid our price. Lord, if somebody comes on our path this week that needs that gospel message, may we not be afraid to share the simplicity of it. And if there be a person here today, Lord, who's come into this building who would have to honestly say, I've heard it, but I've never received it. Lord, might you open their heart to the good news, good news, forgiveness, eternal life, part of God's family. Be able to call you Heavenly Father if they would simply acknowledge their need for salvation and receive Christ's payment for their sin. May they do that right now as we close this service. We leave this place rejoicing in the hope of the resurrection, life victorious over death. In Christ's name we pray, amen.